How many of y'all believe that this morning? That salvation belongs to our God. Amen. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and get ready to receive the word of God this morning, if you will. Uh, please stand with me and uh, turn into your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, and we'll read to verse 8. When you get there, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm there. I heard a lot of neighbors say they're not ready yet. Amen. Well, I'm going to get us started, and you guys continue on reading. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Keep reading. title of our text this morning is The Benefit of a Great Handoff. The Benefit of a Great Handoff. Let us pray. Father God, we are in desperate need of you this morning. I am in desperate need of you this morning. For there is nothing that we can do apart from you. There is nothing that we can say that satisfies our souls like being in the presence of God. And so, God, my prayer is this day that we would hear from your word and that we would be encouraged by it, that we would be challenged by it, that we would be convicted by it so that we might be made mature in Christ. And so we pray this in the only name that matters, the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. The benefit of a great handoff. It was 2004 in Athens, Greece, and the women's U.S. 4x100 team was preparing the race. Uh, and if you remember, they were far and away the best team on the track that day. Even before that day, the night before, they had ran their qualifying times and, and blew out the competition. Uh, and on that team uh, was a phenomenal runner, 
Marion Jones, an incredible track and field athlete. The year, or uh, a few years before in the 2000 games, uh, she won four gold medals, which is very hard to do. Uh, and so she was a part of a very elite team. And so they get ready to race that four by 100 race. Uh, and they got off to a really good start. The young lady who, was, who ran the first leg of the race uh, gave them a good start. And Marion takes the baton and she's gaining ground and giving them a, a, a larger and a, and a larger lead. And uh, she was coming around the curve and getting ready for the handoff. And, and, and before her racing that third leg was a, a young woman named Lauren Williams who was quite a speedster herself. And so as Marion Jones comes up behind her, she tries to hand off the baton and, and she reaches it out and, and the first time they, they can't get the handoff quite right. And, and the second time Marion reaches out the baton and, and for some reason they just, they can't get it right. The third time the, the same thing, Lauren is reaching behind her and for some strange reason she can't get her hands around the baton. And finally on the fourth time, they, they do a proper handoff, and Marion lets it go. Uh, Lauren continues to run. But at that moment, they were disqualified. Because the, by, by the time that they finally got the handoff right, they had passed by the 20-yard exchange zone. And so now this great team full of amazing runners was disqualified because they couldn't get the handoff right. See, if the... If the the older generation runs well, and they, they set up the next generation well, and they're out to a big lead. But it doesn't matter how successful you are in your leg of the race, if you don't get the handoff right, then you can't finish well. And this is where we find ourselves in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy. Timothy, 2 Timothy is a book, it's, it's a very intimate, personal letter between Paul and his son in the faith, Timothy. Uh, and he's preparing himself to leave as he's getting ready to die. And Paul knows it. And so I, I see it, and, and Paul wants to give Timothy some last words and some last reminders. And, and he starts off the book in chapter 1 by saying, he's saying, I want you to guard the gospel. He says, he says guard the deposit that's been entrusted to you, Timothy. And then in chapter 2, he says, Timothy, I want you to remember to suffer for the gospel, share in suffering as a, as a good soldier in Christ. And then he gets to chapter 3, and he says, he says, now, once you've done that, I want you to continue in the gospel. So continue in what you've learned uh, from me. And then he gets to the end of chapter 3, and he says, he says, in order to do those things well, you've got to have a high view of Scripture. Yeah. And so that's where we get to verses 16 and 17, and he says, for uh, all scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for, for teaching and, and correcting and rebuke and uh, training in righteousness that the man of God may be uh, equipped for every good work. You've got to have a high view of scripture. And, and, and Timothy, once you have a high view of scripture, you can be faithful to the word. My first point, in verses one through four, Paul begins to lay out for Timothy the, the, the importance of being faithful to the word. 
verse 1. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Stop right there. Now, now th- this is one of those charges for Paul that is extremely solemn and it's extremely serious. Nowhere else in his letters does Paul give a charge like this. He says, I charge you, O Timothy, in the presence of of God and of Christ Jesus. That word presence there means face to face. It means to, to be in, in face, to be right, right, right before uh, God. See, to be in the presence of God is described a, a number of ways in, in Scripture. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, the Bible says that Adam and Eve were ashamed and so they hid from the presence of God. In Isaiah chapter 6, he says, Behold, uh, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his garment filled the temple, and he, he trembled in fear because he said, I am a man of unclean lips. Amongst the people of unclean lips, Peter, James, and John, on the Mount of Transfiguration, beheld the Lord in all his glory and were filled with fear when they heard the trembling voice of God say, This is my son. Listen. To him, there's a sense of fear when you're in the presence of God. But, but not just that, there's also a sense of comfort when you're in the presence of God. That's why Moses in chapter 33 of the book of Exodus says, Lord, I know you've promised us the promised land and you're moving us that way. But if your presence doesn't go with us, then I don't want to go. He said, I'd rather be here in the wilderness, but be in your presence than to be in a land of promise without you. But it's not just comfort, it's, it's also joy. See, the psalmist in uh, chapter 16, verse 11 says, In your presence is the fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. But then when we look in the eschaton in Revelation chapter 7, we see the cherubim and the seraphim, and we see the host of heaven, and those have been martyred for the name of Jesus all around the throne in the presence of God, worshiping day and night before him. But not just that, when, when we go through difficulty and we're afraid, I remember God telling Joshua in chapter 1, verse 5, don't worry, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And then the psalmist is reminded of that in chapter 139 of the book of Psalms. He says, where can I go? In heaven or earth, as high as the heavens are, I could go down to the depths of Sheol and you're still there. See, there's something about being in the presence of God that changes how you live your life. And Paul right here is trying to remind young Timothy that no matter what you do in your life, Timothy, you better remember that you're in the presence of God. Maybe that that doesn't hit home for you, but I'm a a parent of uh, three kids. And every once in a while, I'll be doing something and I'll notice that I haven't heard them for a while. It's awfully quiet in this house. And the last time I checked, I wasn't alone. And usually when that happens, I say, okay, so I start sneaking around. You got to tiptoe. You can't just come all loud. You got to tiptoe real gently and peek around the corner. And oftentimes they're doing something that they're not supposed to be doing. And why is that? Because they're not in my presence. See, see, there's something about being in my presence that changes their behavior. There, there, there are certain things that they won't do when they're in my presence. Maybe you don't have kids and you're not feeling me just yet. All right. When, when, you, when you're younger and you're tweens 
and you start feeling yourself. You know, we all go through that. We all, you, you, you start getting a little older and start making some friends and you think you're special. And every once in a while, you get out on the street and start acting a fool with your friends. But then somebody that knows your mama sees you. And they sneak up. They sneak up behind you and tap you on the shoulder and said, I seen what you're doing. And I'm going to go home and tell your mama. And you start crying and snot. Oh, I don't want to tell my mama. Tell my mama. Why, why do you do that? Because you thought you could act a fool because she wasn't around. But when you're in the presence, when you're in the presence, it changes things. So Paul here is trying to remind Timothy, I, I, I know I've called you and I've been working with you and walking with you in this work of the ministry. And I left you at Ephesus for a particular reason to set some things in order. But I want you to remember, even when I'm gone, this thing has to stay with you. No matter what you do, Timothy, you better keep in mind that you're in the presence of God. See, when you know you're in the presence of God, it's a sobering reminder that you can't just do what you want to do. You can't just act how you want to act. There's a seriousness and an urgency that comes along with being in the presence of God. So he says, I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and the appearing of Jesus and his kingdom. So I want you to remember that there's a sense of urgency you need to have because Jesus is coming back and he's going to set up his reign and his rule. And you need to know that everything that you do in your life, whether people see it or not, is being done in the presence of God. And now Paul gets to the content of his charge in, in verse 2, and he says, Timothy, I want you to preach the word. Now, I know Paul probably has to remind Timothy of this because he had to address with Timothy early in one of his letters how Timothy was a little timid at times. He was probably a little afraid to, to step up and, and speak on the faith. He was a little shy when people more uh, intimidating than him came around to speak up. So Paul is reminding him here, Timothy, I need you to preach the word. It's a public announcement. It's, it's to proclaim loudly in front of people. Timothy preached the word. And then he tells him, I, I, I want you when you preach the word to be ready to preach the word in season and out of season. Now, I, I like what the NLT, the New Living Translation says about it. It says to be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Now, I, I, I don't know about you, but, but I'm here to tell you that more times than not, the time is not going to be favorable. See, too many of us are waiting for somebody to come to us and say, man, I've been watching your life. And I just have to know about this Jesus. Will you tell him to me? Some of us are waiting for that experience of someone to come and say, man, I just feel convicted over my sin. How can I be saved? I don't know if you've lived it all a little bit, but more times than not, that's not going to happen. There's going to be some difficulty. 
that's not in season. But see, there's some work that has to be done in the off season so that when the harvest comes, your fruit will be ready. You can't just sit back in the off season and not do any work and expect the harvest. The only time a harvest comes is when you've done some work out of season. So I'm here to tell you right now that when you preach the word, you better be prepared for some difficulty. You better be prepared for some opposition. But nevertheless, you better preach the word. See, sometimes they're not going to believe what you say, but you still got to preach the word. Even when you don't feel like it sometimes, you got to preach the word. When you're standing in front of people you think are smarter than you, you got to preach the word. If you're intimidated by their demeanor or appearance, you still got to preach the word. It may cost you being liked, but you got to preach the word. You may end up standing all by yourself, but you still got to preach the word. If you find yourself standing all by yourself and you look around and there's nobody there, I need to tell you to preach the word because even if nobody's around, you'll still be in the presence of God. You've got to preach the word. Then he tells them you've got to reprove as you preach. You've got to correct. You've got to rebuke. You've got to warn People, in order to prevent an action or to bring an action to an end, you've got to exhort or encourage them. And as you preach, young Timothy, don't forget these two things I want you to know. When you preach, do it with complete patience and with teaching. See, I know many of us like to preach, and we're always looking for an argument to take place. Pastor, I just got this guy on my job, and for some reason, I just, I hate what he says about Jesus. And it just gets me riled up. I can't wait to get on Facebook and see somebody say something stupid about Jesus so I can get in there and go on my long rant and start an argument. Too many of us are looking to argue about the faith because we're more willing to win the argument than to win the person. See, this, this isn't new for Paul. Earlier in chapter 2, he tells young Timothy, he says, the man of God must be able to teach patiently enduring evil correcting his opponents with gentleness. See, see, there's, there's a purposefulness with the patience that Paul is telling Timothy to have. In verse 25 of chapter 2, he says, he says this is the reason I want you to be able to patiently endure evil and, and correct your opponents with gentleness. It's, it's because of this. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. So when you preach... Do it with patience and with teaching. And then Paul gets, goes on to chapter or verse 3 and verse 4, and he says, now, 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 now I, I've called you to preach and to be ready in season and out of season, and I, I want you in your preaching to reprove and rebuke and, and to exhort, and, and I want you to do it with patience because there will come a day, it says, when people will not endure sound teaching or healthy teaching but have itching ears that will accumulate. They'll gather for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off in, 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 into myths. Yeah. 
Now, it, it, usually when we talk about this verse, we're thinking about the world outside. But that's not who Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about people in the church. He's talking about people that are sitting right here right now. He said, people who used to want to listen to the truth, there will come a time where they'll no longer want to. They'll decide in their minds, I, I'm done hearing these hard things. I'm done having to be the bigger man. I'm done trying to have to carry this cross on my back. I want to hear about something for me. And the Bible says that they're going to start going around trying to find out, to seek out people who will tell them what they want to hear. That's why when we go through difficulty, we typically go to people who don't know us that well. We avoid, we, we, you, you, I'm, I'm, I ain't the only one in here. You can keep your amen. I, it's all right. I'll say amen to myself. The reason you avoid talking to people that know you is because you only want to hear what you want to hear. See, people that don't know you can't really address the issues because they don't know you. So they're only going to encourage you on a surface level. And so you constantly go around to people that don't know you. And then once people get to know you, you find another group that gets to know you. And nobody ends up really knowing you because all you do is circulate around people that don't know you that well. They will seek for themselves and gather teachers to suit their own passions. But then Paul in verse 5 gives Timothy a contrast. And he, he, he says, he says I, I know what people are going to do, Timothy. I, I can hear, he's, he's, he's like an old school mama in, in his right, and I can hear it right now. I, I don't care what your friends do. You better do what I said. And Timothy starts, I mean, Paul starts verse 5, and he says, as for you. He says, I, he says I, I, I know that people will not stand firm in their faith. I know people won't be faithful to the end. I know people will seek out their own desires to have their desires satisfied on the inside. He says, but as for you, when Paul uses that terminology, as for you, he says, but Timothy, there needs to be a distinction in your life and theirs. He said, you can't walk like the world walks. You can't talk like the world talks. There needs to be a clear distinction in your life, young man, that separates you from the world. Because I don't know if you realize, but the gospel, the credibility of the gospel in your life is at stake. And that's why he says, as for you. See, I, I, I think about my kids and passing the baton to them. And I, I want my kids when they get older, I want to look at my son and look him in the eyes. And I want to be able to pass the baton to him because God reminded me constantly, as for you. And I recognize the distinction because I know before my son, I want to be able to have the credibility to say, I, I, I don't know what everybody else did, but as for me, I was faithful to the word. I was faithful to the word. I want to be able to look at my daughters and pass the baton to them and say, I was faithful because in my soul, I was rooted in knowing that there's an ask for me in my distinction. When my wife is angry with me sometimes, I still need her to know that there's an ask for me. 
There's a distinction for me between the world. People need to know. And it needs to be clear. There needs to be a line drawn in the sand that says, as for me. See, that, that, as, for, that as for me holds no compromise. That as for me is not momentary. That as for me has some longevity with it. Because there's, there's a credibility of the gospel at stake. I don't know if you've gone through any difficulty, but, but sometimes life just seems to be pressing you in on every side. But you got to remain faithful to the word because the Bible says, as for you, even when people don't like you, as for you. Sometimes you're just going to be tired of being faithful, but you got to remember, as for you. You're going to wake up some mornings and just want to sit in a dark room. But I'm here to tell you right now, there's got to be rooted in your soul and as for you. Somebody's got to feel that this morning. Somebody's got to feel the seriousness of this charge. Because as much as Paul is writing this to Timothy, he's writing it to us today. And he wants to tell you, as for you, there's got to be a distinction. Then Paul says, he says, he says, when you get to that point where your feet have been grounded and your soul has been rooted in the faithfulness of God and the faithfulness of his word, he said, when you've been faithful to the word, then you can be faithful to the end. So he says, he says, Timothy, he says, as for you, always be sober-minded. means you've, you've got to have clarity in your mind. You've got to have clarity of thought about what God has called you to do. Because he says, endure suffering. See, when he says endure suffering, that's not a maybe, it's a guarantee. He's telling Timothy to prepare himself right now for suffering that it's going to come. It's not a if suffering happens, it's a when suffering happens. And he says, when suffering happens, Timothy, I want you to endure. See, but the truth of the matter is, you can't endure uh, suffering, uh, dear Christian, unless you're sober-minded. Because you know what happens when suffering comes, we start getting bitter at God. I don't know if you're willing to admit it or not, but every single person in here struggles with health, wealth, and prosperity preaching. Because deep down in your core, there's a part of you that believes that just because you show up at church on Sunday and you get up early for some devotions and you open your little red hymnal and sing some praise, that ain't nothing bad going to happen to you. And then you start getting shaky in your mind about who God is and what he's done. And you start forgetting how he brought you from a mighty long way. And you start forgetting that just that morning he showed you a little grace. And just that morning he showed you a little mercy all because you going through a little something and then you get ready to quit but I'm here to tell you right now young believer I don't care what's happening in your life you better be sober-minded 
on who God is. Says you can't quit because of hardship. You, you can't act like difficulty isn't at your door. You can't just act like it doesn't exist. Sometimes you got to acknowledge that you're hurting. You got to acknowledge that you're going through. Because only then can you rest in the faithfulness of God. He says... As for you, be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, Timothy, that, that constant realization that you should be sharing this word, this gospel with those who don't believe. Fulfill your ministry. Complete everything that God has called you to do. And so now Paul transitions a little bit and he says, he says I, I want you, Timothy, to be faithful to the end and, and I want you to look no further than my example. And he says, presently in the present, I'm, I am being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is near. See, I like that word departure. It has this, this image of a ship that's being unloosed from its dock and being set off to sail in the sunset. It's just a beautiful imagery where Paul here is communicating. He said, my time has come and I'm getting ready to go home to be with the Lord. And then he says, he says I have fought the good fight. So now he, not only is he telling him to look at his present, he says, look no further than my past. I've fought the good fight and I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. And see, Paul could say this to young Timothy uh, because he even wrote to the Corinthian church in, in chapter 11. He says, are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am, am I talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death? Five times I have received the hands uh, at the hands of the Jews, the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was at adrift at sea. On frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and in thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is daily on me the pressure of the churches. And the only reason that Paul could tell Timothy to endure suffering was because he himself had endured suffering. This right here is the, the mark of a great leader. See, a, a great leader will never tell those who are following him to do something that they're not willing to do. Then in verse 8, verse eight I believe Paul takes a little praise break. And I, and I know he's writing this to Timothy, but I can, I can picture him laying in his deathbed right now with Timothy at his bedside having this conversation. Timothy holding his hand and, and weeping tears of seeing his father in the faith ready, ready to pass on. And Timothy tur Paul turns his gaze from Timothy and looks skyward to heaven. And he says, Timothy, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but all, to all of those 
who love his appearing. See, Paul was aware that, that because he was faithful to the end, there was a crown of righteousness awaiting for him. See, Paul wanted to encourage Timothy that at the end, when you've made it to the end, when you've run that race of faith, when you've kept the faith, there's an award waiting for you, and, and there's no award greater than getting it from the king of glory. Paul understood that, that there was one who had come that was greater than him, and he wanted Paul, he wanted Timothy to, to lift his eyes to that one, to, to the righteous one, the one that, that had showed up in humble estate, in a manger, to two parents with a scandal surrounding them. And then he grew up as a little boy, being faithful in stature and finding favor with God and man. And then that one would start a ministry and he would start sharing the gospel from town to town amongst the poor, healing the sick and raising the dead. And then one day, he would go to an old rugged cross and he'd be crucified on that cross with his arms spread wide and his head hung low and they would pierce him in his side and he would look up to glory and say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then they would lay him in the tomb and then he would be left in the tomb on the first day. There would be no activity. And on the second day, there'd be no activity. But on the third day, the stone would be rolled away. And it'd be empty when they got there. And the angel would tell the maidens who showed up to the grave, he's not here, but he has risen. He didn't stay in the grave dead. But by the power of God, he got up. And he's not here. And then he would look on the right hand of glory and my God would be seated there with all power in his hand. He is the righteous one who gave Paul that crown of glory. And I'm here to tell you, if you make it to the end and God says to you, well done, thy good and faithful servant, then Jesus, the righteous one, will stand before you and place on your head a crown of righteousness but that won't be good enough for you. And so you'll take that crown off your head and you'll lay it at the feet of Jesus and you'll get on your knees and say, you are the king of glory. You are the righteous one. There is none like you in all heaven of earth. Glory to God, hallelujah. Glory to God, hallelujah. I've been faithful to your word I'll be faithful to the end but God I need your help today God I need your help today God when life starts to box you in on every side you better fix your eyes to glory and you better look upon your king who strengthens you with the might of Christ and you better get in your word each and every day and you better say God I need to hear from you right now I'm weak but you're strong because I need to be faithful to your word I need to be faithful to the Lord I need to be faithful to the end
That's the call before us. That's, that's the call before us. Paul, even though he was writing to Timothy, he's saying to us, he's saying, I, he's saying young, young Christian, older Christian, I, I need you to take seriously your walk with Jesus. I need you to be faithful to the word. Not just today, but tomorrow. You've got to go to bed faithful tonight. And you've got to wake up faithful in the morning. And then you've got to go to bed faithful again. And you've got to wake up faithful again. Because credibility is at stake. People are watching you. Even if they don't like you, they're watching you. Because your credibility ain't just about you. It's about everybody that's watching you. It's about people that haven't even known you yet. But the ripple effects of you passing that baton is going to touch their lives. And they need to be able to look over your life and testify by the grace of God that you were faithful to the word. And you've been faithful to the end. I need you to look at your life. I need you to think back in your mind right now. Can I picture somebody very distinctly that I can pass the baton to? Is there anybody in my life that I'm passing the baton to? If you don't have anybody in your life that you're passing the baton to, then you need to find somebody. Maybe you're young in here and you're looking for somebody to pass the baton to you. I'm here to tell you today, you better find somebody that can pass the baton to you because there will be no success without a great handoff. 